So let's talk about Rush Limbaugh for a second. Okay. Welcome to Trade Offs, where product habits Heaton Shaw and Profit Wells Patrick Campbell discuss tech through a product first mindset to inspire you to think differently. This week, they talk about all things clarity around topics like remote work. That's not normal distributed remote work. You can't go to a coffee shop and go work. You can't go to your co-working space and go work. Company vision. Deliver that clarity. Give people clear direction on what the company's thinking about when it comes to this. And categories. That actually adds a probable accelerant to some of this because all of a sudden it turns into a mission and you're attracting missionaries who are your customers on this mission. Welcome back to Trade-Offs. Heaton, how's your week going? How's everything going? How's life? Life is good. I'm living the dream. I'm doing what I love. That's awesome, man. I love to hear that. That's great. Where have you have you been? How's your COVID coping going? That's what I'm calling it now. I don't think I made that up, but like, has anything changed? COVID coping? Like or so? um, has it just been? No, no, not, not for me. Not for me. It, it feels like Groundhog Day for sure. But outside of that, I'm good. I, I, I'm pretty good with these kind of situations where the rules are clear and the constraints are clear for better or worse. I know we're going to talk about Rush Limbaugh in a second, and that's my little tease just for people to be like, what are they going to talk about? But what are, what's here's something that I wanted to get your take on this week, and I was thinking about this since last time we chatted. There's this fatigue, I guess is the best way to put it, and you kind of called it the Groundhog Day kind of thing. Like, is there something is there something we should be doing? Does this happen with remote work? Is this something that, you know, we can kind of avoid? Is it just, hey, give people, you know, like really support extra vacation and time off, but then they're just kind of sitting in their homes anyways? Like, what's, what's your kind of take? And I'm, I'm kind of at a loss because, you know, we've got some people who are really taking it hard and they've been taking it hard for a while. Yeah, we do too. Um, this is not about remote work. It's not about distributed work. It's not even about work. I think it's about life. And so overnight, in March of 2020, our life changed in, in the U.S. I know in other countries earlier and maybe a little bit later, et cetera, but our, our lives changed. So it's about life problems. So I really appreciate people trying to make it about work and distributed work and remote work, but it's not about that. It's about life. And and the big point there that a lot of people make, which I'm, I will make too, which is your kids are home if you have kids, unless you're in a place where the schools are open again. And that's not normal distributed or remote work. You can't, in the same way you used to go to a coffee shop and go work. You can't go to your co-working space and go work for most of us. I, I know there are countries and areas that all this is now working, not normal, but closer to normal. So you, you basically are, the way I think about it is your level of ability to cope with this has to do with your level of ability to cope with life changes and whatever your personal process is as you go through that. And this one's kind of messed up because we're all hoping we come back to normal, whatever normal is at some point in the future. Some people always keep saying it's months away. Other people say we're going to be in this for a while. While others are just more like me where it's like, I'm taking it a day, a week, a month, a quarter at a time and making adjustments as necessary and helping anybody that is troubled with coping with the change on our teams. But the best thing I have is like, well, how do you deal with life changes? Like when you have a breakup, how do you deal with that? When you are moving, or, or, you know, all of a sudden there's leaks in your house that you're renting and you have to move. How do you deal with that? Because a lot of what comes up for people is the same kind of thing, which is like unexpected change and the unknown. And I actually find it, I don't want to say refreshing, but very consistent with founders I know that have some level of experience where this doesn't phase them because they're used to change. That's my thesis. Yeah. That's what's been so hard is I feel part of me thought and kind of in the beginning, there was a little bit of this transition of, you know, I was on a plane every other week doing stuff, selling, speaking, these types of things. And all of a sudden like that stopped. And so there's a little bit of like transition, but a lot of founders and execs, especially earlier stage, they're used to kind of grenades going off in their business to use kind of a maybe overused metaphor. And it's kind of like, this is almost a pleasant surprise because while there's a lot of stuff going on in the business, you don't have some of that other chaos, even obviously in the world, there's chaos going on. And so it's been, it's been a tough thing for some of these folks that I know are struggling and have talked about it. Cause I don't know if I have the advice and it always tends to, to lean towards, 
I, I, it always tends to lean towards like, Hey, like maybe you should talk to someone, you know, like maybe you should talk. Cause I, it, there's some of those coping mechanisms. They just don't, they, they haven't had, and they were kind of distracting themselves. And this is me playing amateur therapist, but like, yeah, I think it's just, it's, it's, it's really interesting to try and help people that are struggling and, and you're not quite sure how to help them, but you're trying to like coax them into like getting more expertise basically to, to kind of get through stuff like this. It's not easy. So nothing I said would kind of point to being easy, but when I am walking people through it, it is one of those things of like, how do you deal with change? What are things you need to do for yourself? And under the constraints that we're in right now, what can you do? But we have to remember that like, there's a lot of different types of changes that are happening. Like I said, if you have kids, you end up actually having to deal with the kids and juggling all that and have to deal with the Zooms. Then there's even this idea of like, bandwidth and everybody on a zoom at the same time we haven't really gotten much better at that um so there's i think just lots of change and depending on how an individual manages change in their life they're going to have a different sort of perspective on what's going on a lot of it comes back to like agency and focusing on what you control and things like that and then i think when it comes down to it a lot of feelings and emotions and triggers and things like that come up during these times that can be, it can be helpful to go talk to someone, whether it's a therapist, a coach, or even just a really good friend, just talk, talk about whatever you're dealing with. I think that's actually very important right now. Our support systems are more important than ever. So if I were to really push it and someone's really having a hard time, I would try to help them see for themselves what support system they do have including me and the team, if that's relevant for them. Otherwise, it's about those support systems and those people that are also available to you that are not going to go away, that are going to take your call. Usually it's family, a best friend, brother, sister, et cetera. Those are the types of things I usually go to just because we are in unprecedented times when it comes to the amount of things going on that are changing right in front of us. For me, the biggest thing that I've been telling people is or the thing I've been trying to hold them accountable to, at least the people that I've, you know, had these conversations with is, you know, there's probably not, there's not a universal answer at all. You know, we can talk through diet, exercise, getting, you know, like having some boundaries, these types of things, but you got to be trying something, you know, you got to try something because uh, you don't have the reactionary environment that you probably once had to kind of distract you from some of these pieces. And some of us, it's not even about that. It's just, this is just an environment we just would never do well in no matter if we're normal or, or whatever it is. So yeah, it's interesting. I just, I had this feeling today and, and, you know, last week, this is why I wanted to ask you about it, where I found myself thinking, Oh, I'm, I'm relatively happy. You know, there's a lot of, you know, there's always chaos going on, but I was like, it does feel groundhog's day. And I was kind of like, is that okay? Like, I don't know. Like part of it feels fine. And part of it feels like, that's me trying to be like, no, I need some chaos. I need some more, like I need to throw a grenade into the business or something like that in order to, you know, to feel that rush or something like that. And it's, you know, that, that monastic grind actually is, you know, ultimately the journey that most of us are on. And so you kind of have to like be okay with that. And now you're like facing that reality because you don't have all the distractions or at least the distractions are, you know, for, again, people probably listening to this are, are very narrow within your life right now. Yeah. I mean, they're real though. So hundred percent can't dismiss yeah, them because they're impacting totally. us. Yeah. It's also interesting the, the, the family thing. I, I, I don't know if it's condescending, but you know, anyone who has kids or that type of stuff, it's been like very like do, do what you got to do. I mean, for everyone, it's been like, do what you got to do. Cause everyone's got, you know, different uh, things that have happened. It's, it's hard with schools closed. <laughs> you, you don't, you don't determine that, that, uh, Hey, that's, that's babysitting. You know, it's more than babysitting, but that's at least babysitting for a good portion of the day. And I, I can't imagine not having the support there, you know, especially depending on the number of kids, the schools closed, these types of things. So yeah, it's just, just gets interesting. It's a real problem. And that's why this is not about remote work or distributed work. In my opinion, it's about the yeah. change that we have to deal with and the way we have to manage our time. That's why a lot of the tips about remote work do work, <laughs> like, you know, giving people a lot of flexibility on time and when they work and when they don't work and things like that and being pretty open about that as kind of people deal with their life. 
because there's new life stuff now all of a sudden that was com- completely unexpected. And it continues to be unexpected too because different schools have different policies and then all of a sudden the summer hits and things get better. Uh, but then the kids are home and there's less for them to do out there, right? Because things are better, but they're still locked down to a great extent in a lot of areas. And then you hit, and then we're going to hit winter again. And yeah, winter's coming sort of status for sure. Like if the, if the virus is still around, we're going to have another crazy winter most likely. Do you think that actually brings up an interesting question? Someone, so, so first the remote work thing, I think is really fascinating because I think you're right to, to con- conflate these is, is a little problematic. There's not necessarily isolation with someone remote work in general, like they have their life around them, these types of things, but there's a little more isolation sometimes relative to like, just, Hey, we're not at the office. Right. And, it, and it's not like a bad or good thing. It's just more of like, there's just distance, you know, mostly physically. Right. And so it's more of just, you know, were there any things like one thing I got from last week that was really good advice was do, you know, the happy hour stuff is kind of like people are burnt out on that. It's been kind of a year of that (laughs) of just like, oh yeah, we're going to get everyone together and like, just meet up. Basically doing that in a improvised manner seems to be working really well. Like, hey, we're just getting a couple of people on Zoom, these types of things. And and so that was a good piece of advice that I had gotten. But the, the kind of interesting thing that this kind of brings up too is someone was asking me when we would go back to the office. And I found myself not being able to really have a good first principle around, well, do you force people to have the vaccine? In some places, that's not going to be a problem. In other places, it's going to be a problem. Do you like, do you just say, like, hey, we're going to know who's vaccinated or not? Like, it's just going to be an interesting phenomenon for those who then end up having offices. Like, what is the, what is the product mindset on kind of making that decision? And maybe you just punt it. Maybe you just kind of punt it until people start doing it and then you kind of follow. That's, that's what a lot of people did at the beginning of the epidemic as well. I think the most telling sign here, which is not always the case, but I think is the case in today's world, is basically like you look at what Facebook and Dropbox have done and and a few others around providing clarity to team members. That's the key. It doesn't really matter what the rules are you want to have. I I understand where you're going, and there's people that are way more well-versed in those implications and stuff than me. But what I would say is, you know, I think leadership is a clarity delivering machine when leadership works really well. Just give people the clarity. And that could just be like, we don't know, we're going to reevaluate at this exact point. And then you make sure that when you get to that point, you're able to say what the reevaluation is, even if it's like, oh, we still don't know. Here's what's up. Because that's still clarity. I'm not saying that's the best. But what I really appreciate about what Facebook and Dropbox and others have done is they took a little bit of time, but then they're delivering clarity. And, And even Google's done that. And I, I don't know, I think Microsoft has done that too. So uh, taking their lead here as a small companies might be a good idea, which is just deliver clarity, whatever that means for you. And, and, and these companies have done that and they've done it very thoughtfully from what I can tell. I don't know what's happened internally at all these companies, although some of them I do, but externally there's a narrative that's like, oh, everyone's going towards flexible work and having a lot more flexibility on when people need to be in the office and don't. And they've given clarity on when the office, roughly when the office is going to be open. But that doesn't mean they can't change their minds. But really, at the end of the day, if you think about the teams at those companies and what kind of variety they have, kind of questions they were getting, these companies have done a very decent job, if not good job, of just giving clarity. And so I would just go back to that. And and as a leader, I go back to that constantly for anything. And in a way, to me, it just goes back to product thinking of like, whether it's first principles or like, just what's the goal here? So outcome-based product thinking is what I prefer, which means you need to know what outcome you're going after before you go after it, (laughs) which is ideal. And there's lots of examples for that. Like if you're building consumer product, you probably want to focus on retention first, right? For example, if you're focused on enterprise product or B2B product, you probably want to focus on getting people to actually pay you first. If you're focused on, on basically trying to deliver clarity, which is, I think, the focus in these areas first, then like deliver that clarity. Give people clear direction on what the company's thinking about when it comes to this and what you know for sure versus what's unknown and what what the dependencies are. That way people just feel like not just they're in the loop, but they have clarity. 
And the, the main reason is, and, and I'll, I'll go deeper on this, like, cause I, I have thought about it, have a lot of private conversations about this stuff sometimes daily. I believe that these companies did the things they did in order for their team members to make life decisions easier. Should I stay in San Francisco or not? Where should I move to? How's that going to impact my salary? How's that going to impact? Am I going to have to move back? <laughs> right? That's a lack of clarity if your employees are thinking about those kind of things versus doing their jobs. And already it's hard enough to do their jobs because of all the things we just talked about. So as much clarity as a company could provide team members, that's what I would be opting for and figuring that out. And if you don't know yet on, on how to get the, like what that clarity is, what that clear message is, what the clear guidelines are, then go get that, figure that out before you go start talking to the team in all kinds of ways and having conversations, like have a, essentially a policy and a timeline and some kind of approach that you as a company should take. Because again, we're dealing with life here now. The work and the life is so merged. It, it has been for all of us doing distributed and remote work and have been doing a long time. So that's, that's like a stable thing for me or someone like me. But that being said, I have a whole different setup than I ever have. I used to drive a lot to meetings just because I could. And the Bay Area has a lot of the people that I needed to meet with. Now I don't. And I do the Zoom meetings with whoever. And a lot of people don't even show up here. in San, They don't come to San Francisco anymore. While before it was like, hey, I'm coming to San Francisco. Do you want to meet up? Because they live somewhere else in the US or in another country. And it's like a big thing. It's not a big thing anymore. It doesn't matter. It's gone. It's out the window. Right? And, and it, it was already dwindling down, honestly, from like 10 years ago or 15 years ago or whatever. But now we're at like a zero. Like nobody thinks about coming to San Francisco to meet with tech people. Right? It's just not a thing anymore. I don't know if it'll ever come back. But Again, these are all life things. These are all things that impact human beings. And, and, uh, and we have to make decisions for our personal lives right now. And if our companies aren't giving us clarity, we're thinking about that stuff a lot more than I think we should be. Yeah. Sorry for the rant, that, but that's like no, that was my good. whole piece on this one, dude. Like to talk to like, I want to say like hundreds of people about this privately. Well, I think the clarity piece is, the, the reason it's so crucial is because people crave information and they crave the ability, as you were kind of alluding to, to plan based on that information, right? And, and this this goes, you know, obviously the obvious thing is like, what should I do right now? Should I go to Vermont? Should I, you know, do whatever? That was that was a tough thing for us in the early days because, you know, and we kind of followed a little bit because, you know, in, in the early days of this, it was kind of like, is this going to be like a four-week thing? Is it not? Like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden it was, all right, you know, let's let's optimize for you can do whatever you want with your life right now. Like, you know, if you want to go to Vermont, if you don't want to come to the office, like whatever it is. And so we ended up leaving, you know, the office open, like and reduced and kept the cleaning and everything for, you know, not initially because it was like the world's ending and it's on surfaces and all this other stuff. But, you know, over time we opened it up for some folks who needed, you know, a place to go. We kind of decided it. at first it was like, we'll give you like three weeks notice when to come back. And this was before it was like, you need a vaccine, need this. And then it turned into, you will know months in advance <laughs> and we will keep you updated. And no news is like, means nothing has changed. But if you have a question, let us know and kind of go from there. But even hiring has been kind of interesting, right? Because, you know, we had to, to kind of decide, are we going to go fully remote or studio model like some people are doing? Because when you're hiring, people want to know, like, am I going to be able to stay remote? And that's kind of a magnet for some folks. And it's kind of a deterrent for others who are like, I never, and, and this is where I know you and I talked about this, you know, in June of last year, I think, where it's like, this is, this is great for remote, but also terrible for remote because people think working from home is remote and that's not what it is. Like, and I think that's where it's, it's going to get interesting afterwards because people, I don't think they'll have a rude awakening if they've decided they do want to essentially work remote, but I think they, there's some folks who, who haven't gotten a good taste of remote and they'll, they'll kind of, you know, be tainted for a while, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I do believe that sentiment is dwindling. I, I think one of the reasons is a lot of people were worried about, can we be as productive working in a distributed fashion? And unequivocally, yes, you can be as productive, if not more. And if you are today with the constraints people have at home, imagine what happens when things go back to normal. People are just going to be happier working from home, most likely. And that hybrid of we still have an office and people can come into it 
is probably going to start becoming more of a norm. I think Drift came out and said kind of something about going all digital or whatever they called it. You know, they're yeah. good at marketing, so so they made it their narrative. Everyone's been basically doing that consistently, which is coming out and saying, yeah, we're just remote first or we're more than open to it. It's optional to come in the office, even in the future. And they're making decisions like that. But again, it's about clarity. The biggest concern I heard early on was, can we be productive? I think a majority of companies have figured out, yes, they can be productive. They can be equally productive as before because we're all forced to deal with it together. I feel like if we weren't forced to deal with it together, we would have a much more disparity on people's opinions about it. Now, unequivocally, if Dropbox and Microsoft and Google and Facebook and Drift and and the dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds others that are out there that have not been public or been private about it or whatever, if they're all saying, this is okay, this is ha- this is the path forward, this is the way, then guess what? Like, this is the way. We've come around. Like, we're not as tied to offices anymore. And I think that's stamped. It's done. That doesn't mean offices don't matter. That doesn't mean if you're a company that has offices and wants everyone back in the office, that's a bad thing. That just means that we've learned that people can be productive working from home, doing distributed work, even under the worst circumstances of remote work. And that's kind of, to me, the core benefit for anyone that's a remote advocate. You know, as much as like I've been remote basically my whole career life as a founder or whatever, I don't advocate for it. I never have in the way that other people might think I have or whatever, because to me, like there was always a big cultural difference between office culture and remote distributed work culture. And now that difference is like, oh, we've swung all the way to all the practices I see these companies implement are all remote work, distributed work practices, not office culture practices, those practices are going to be like ingrained in companies. They're not going to go away because this is happening as you, to your point for a sustained amount of time for everybody. Like even field sales is like done. Like, like it's literally done. It'll come back, but it's done. Yeah. And we've all had it's to not, still yeah. sell and meet revenue targets, right? Like for the companies that are doing that. Wow. That was not going to happen this fast. Not in, not in a million years without something like this. And this was totally unpredictable, I would say. I think it's also wild because it's, there are some companies that they went, oh, we can be productive and our balance sheet looks like this now because we don't have this office. Amazing. And then they're going to end up doing it way too much from a dollars and cents. And I, I think there's going to, like everything, as you evolve, there's all these little like, sub clashes that end up happening. And I think there's going to be, there's going to end up being like some growing pains with remote, but I think remote has gotten over the, the productivity problem, which was probably the ultimate question. And now it's more of like, how do you optimize? Right. We'll see. I think we've, I don't think we're going to be remote. I think we're going to be massively flexible though, but I don't know exactly what that means. And we're going to have to define that a little bit because we don't want two groups, hey, these are rules that aren't remote and these are rules that are remote. That doesn't feel necessarily right, or maybe it is, but we also, you know, we 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 don't want to like half, you know, half ass like, oh, you gotta be here like an average these number of days. And then it's like, ugh, then it's kind of like you're kind of like paying not a dollar amount, but you're paying the price of both. And it just I don't know, we gotta think through it a little bit more. Before even the whole COVID thing and everyone was working from home. I always said, if you follow the money, we're going towards distributed work, no matter what. All these things are just about following the money. It's the new outsourcing, if you want to call it that. And outsourcing, the whole thing was to save money, right? This is, if you follow the money, this is a really big reason these companies are doing this besides the clarity thing, because they have to. Like, like you follow the money, it's just fiscally smart, right? For lack of a better word. So that's one piece. I think the other piece is, to your point, I, I would not recommend making decisions without understanding the implications. And we might not understand the implications until a little bit further on before we're ready to open up because vaccines are implications. Uh, new COVID strains are also part of the implications uh, or at least the factors that lead to a bunch of implications that we might we just don't have clarity on. Like, look, I'm sitting pretty for lack of a better word because our teams are all designed around remote. We're not going to change that. We're not going to get an office unless we need to centralize a certain function like sales or something like that. The recruiting pool increased though, probably. 
Honestly, like yes and no. Yes, but is a better answer because if it increased, but someone desires office work or in-office participation and all that, and they don't know it today, there's actually a big risk of bringing on some of those people now if they're new to remote work. And, you know, so some of our questions are oriented around sussing that out and figuring out, hey, are you ever going to want to be in an office? Does that actually matter to you? Especially if someone's new to remote work and working from home, because guess what? That's not a thing here. And that will literally never probably be a thing. I never want to say never, but we operate really well the way we Most do. People have, people have freedom of time and we value that. And we value them being self-directed and able to manage their time. And in a distributed work environment, that's the deal. You have to be self-directed and self-managed. So we're optimizing for those type of people. We're not optimizing for teaching someone how to do remote work, right? We're optimizing for people that already feel self-directed and a, a strong sense of ownership over their work. And so they'll just get it done regardless of what the environment is, whether it's personal or work environment. So yeah, pool has increased. I, I, there's no way I can deny that. But is that does that matter to us? In a lot of ways, it doesn't. In most ways, it actually doesn't for us. Like we hired someone, uh, our head of people in recruiting recently, and we were talking to him and he was asking me about, like, he was almost asking me as if, hey, I'm okay commuting. I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, like, I know I don't need to do it now, but if you ever need to or whatever, I'm like, nah, dude, like, we don't do that here. Right? Like, we, we just don't need to. That being said, I'm open if we need to, because like, you know, new hire, senior hire, want to make sure that like he's heard and, and he will be. But, at the, and he's also culture you know, person, like head of recruiting, head of HR, head of people type of thing. And I had, I just told him like, yeah, I don't think you're gonna be required to do that. If we ever do require it though, like, yeah, we could talk about it, you know, but why would I make the guy like drive? Like, like if he doesn't, like if he doesn't need to, right. And that's why when you, my reaction to what you're saying is like, I'm not sure, Patrick, like, like you you might not know what you don't know today. Cause I don't either. Right. That's why even though I'm I'm hardcore remote in terms of not necessarily an advocate, but like for our own companies, I still leave the asterisk for, well, there are certain functions that might need to be centralized, sales being the number one, customer support and success potentially being another one. That being said, because of recent events over the last year, everyone's learned how to do their jobs remotely. <laughs> Everybody. Even even like restaurants are doing their jobs remotely. I don't mean it or distribute it. I don't mean it in the same way for as us, but like they've had to change everything. They've had to change the way the operations work. You can't walk into a restaurant with, with chairs and sit there anymore. They're all upside down or they've retooled their whole system so that they're ready to like, you know, like I, I've seen places where I, I have had to walk in every once in a while and like to pick something up and like there's tables and there's like, oh, your, your Yelp or Grubhub, great. Your stuff's going to be here. Just make sure you pick the right thing. Oh, you're Uber and, and you know, you're not, you're Uber Eats and you're a delivery person. Great. Come to this stall, right? Like it's and the, the shields that they've put up, right? And all, all this stuff. It's like they've had to figure this out because they're distributed now too because they have to distribute their food at a different way that they, that they used to. And that's where the bulk of their revenue comes. So anyway, little rant there. But like, look, you don't know. Nobody knows. So, but you still need to deliver clarity as a leader. I feel like Travis always wins those ghost kitchens. He knew that was coming <laughs> more and more. Yeah. When you're when you're at Uber scale and have seen all that growth, you you will find new opportunities for your next thing. But just yeah, how it works. That is cool though. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. It'll be fascinating. I think the studio model it it interests me a lot because it's it's a bit of best of both worlds. I think right now it's being treated more as we you will have a hub in order to do something physical in person if you want and probably like certain functions i don't know if they're mandatory remote but you know studio these types of things you know they'll they'll be you know someplace to do those types of things but i don't know it'll be interesting it'll be really interesting so to for, see how this for, evolves for the longest time automatic had what they called the automatic lounge in san francisco and uh, you not it was massive like you could throw a conference there like you could throw a conference there and it was mostly empty most of the time, but there were like offices upstairs and there's a big hall and it was a middle of downtown San Francisco. It was a pretty awesome space. I'm, I'm kind of bummed out that they let it go, but like they let it go, but they had that and they were, they have been fully distributed and they called it a lounge 
uh, I believe, uh, because that's what it was. But it was awesome. You know, we we held some offsites there at Kissmetrics because uh, we were a remote team and kind of brought people together every once in a while. Uh, and it was so much fun and in such a good space. But like, yeah, I, I see that model. I see people going after that. But if you really look at the money, though, like, do you really need that? Like, is it is it really valuable? Like, anyway, we, we can move on from this topic. But like, I think like there's still a lot of TBDs up in the air here. It's like we work got killed by this, but also now might be more justified than other ever. Like, you know, just in terms of hot desking, uh, whether like long-term hot desking or like, you know, just having Absolutely. a place for a month or something. And I, you know, it's funny. I tried, so I'm in Florida, as you know, came down here cause Jenny's grandma's place was open and I tried to get a Regis, like just a, like, that's the only thing that's next to where we are is the Regis. And it was terrible experience <laughs> like just absolutely terrible experience the price was insane i was like no one is in this building i don't need the reception i don't need anything i just need like a place to set up equipment and keep it there and they just wouldn't budge and i was like oh this is why we work was able to at least spin this story they made um, it so easy they made it, it was so, so easy. easy quick asterisk they made it easier they reduced the friction with their product compared to all the competitors that's 100%. the money there you can have 100%. opinions about the business and the profitability, but at the end of the day, they, they spent the money to reduce the friction. And that's why they were winning. Whoever gets closest to the customer and makes it easiest for them to purchase wins. That's what it comes down to. In the weirdest segment, well, I'm going to try, let me see if I can get this segue way to go. So whoever gets closest to the customer, okay, whoever gets closest to the customer, in that note, uh, someone who did really well in getting close to a customer that was not supported and was also really controversial, Rush Limbaugh. So Rush Limbaugh passed away. We are not going to discuss his views or tactics really about anything in this podcast, unless you really want to, Eaton, but that's not our, our style for this. But the one thing that was really interesting, and again, from a product lens, uh, and I promise this is a little bit easier to, to align. I didn't know he, basically prior to 1989, there were no conservative, like, major, major conservative outlets, you know, Reagan, I guess, had gotten rid of the fairness doctrine, um, which basically said you needed to have like some balance and, and, and fairness. And so what ended up happening is all of a sudden in the wake of that, you know, the rise of conservative talk show. Right. And I just assume because, you know, we, we see it all the time now, whether it's Fox or MSNBC or whatever, you always have had this like political talk radio uh, or talk, you know, media. But I guess in 1989, when he started the Rush Limbaugh show, it just exploded. And the the topic that I thought was interesting for us to dig on, so quite literally not even talking about Rush Limbaugh, but just really using that as a segue to talk about the topic is the idea of an other, right? So presumably there was no one that Rush Limbaugh, or there was no one serving that audience up until that point. He comes out and you know, I, I don't want to say he's, I don't want to judge him at all, better or worse. Like he comes out, fills that void, is an other, and also is attacking the other. So he's like an alternative for people to talk to. He's attacking the other and that didn't exist. And then, you know, with, let's say, you know, some level of ability, just it explodes, right? And then there's a bunch of things that happen in the media. And I think an interesting topic for us to talk about is like that other concept, like Salesforce did this. Um, they're a really good example that a lot of people who listen to us know. The no software movement. Like basically, you don't have to install the software. You don't have to buy the like pack of software. We just install it or you access it through the cloud basically, right? So they were very anti-software. Um, our friends over at Drift, the no forms, you know, they basically copied the Salesforce thing unapologetically and they said no forms. And instead you click something and it goes to a chat button, which is kind of like a form, but it's not a form, right? And so I think that, one thing that we haven't thought enough about ourselves is this, do we have an other? Do we have something that we're fighting against? Do we need to you know, have something that we're fighting against, even if it's contrived? But yeah, I think that's an interesting topic for us to dissect. So you want to you wanna give some initial thoughts? Human beings like to take sides. It's a core psychological thing, right? Like, so if you say no forms, you're taking a side. And if you're on the right side of that, people will resonate with it. And I think when Drift did it, they were on the right side of that for the marketing, especially for what they are were bold to say. And what they were basically saying is that like everyone hates filling out forms just to talk to somebody to use a product that's going to benefit them. So instead, let's make it conversational marketing and let's let's say that the forms are dead. 
and you should be using these chatbots, which like you said, it's still typing in a box and all that, but it honestly feels different. I don't know if it's better or worse, but it feels different. So the experience is a dramatic difference. So then the way I think about it is there are campaigns and then there are strategic initiatives and those aren't always the same. So in the case of Benioff with the cloud and all that stuff and software as we knew it is dead and that whole thesis, it it was strategic, hyper-strategic and it still can be played out today and it still works. This whole no forums thing from Drift didn't feel the same level of strategic when they did it and it did feel like a rip to me, but it was a good rip and it's not to rip on them about it. They, they're very good at co-opting ideas and turning it into their own and then basically running with it for however long makes sense. And I think that's also what Salesforce has done. They they use that for however long it makes sense. And I don't think it makes sense anymore because we consider software, software across the internet, not software we download and have to use or set up on servers and stuff like that. It's The world has changed and they've kept up with it, right? They have all new campaigns and things like that. But to them, I felt like it was a longer term strategic thing that they figured out was core and root, you know, that mattered to the customer too. And was a whole change that was happening in the world. This idea of no forums is not a change that's happening in the world. It's not an obvious change. It's just a frustration. And they played on the frustration for as long as it made sense. I even have the sticker still, right? It was a big deal for them at the time. But it's also like their approach, right? They do this. They do campaigns. They're marketers first, just like Benioff being a marketer first. And they'll do campaigns. But it's the strategic stuff I look for if it's my business. I I don't mind the campaign, by the way. I thought it was brilliant and smart. But I look for the strategic core stuff that is actually changing that's worth putting a pin in, so to speak, and owning as as a brand, as a narrative. You know, like in your case, I think data should be free, right? Like like the, there's a thesis there because Stripe is technically free except for the processing fees, right? Like like there's a there's an angle there and, you, you know, a lot of your business is on Stripe. I know you have other stuff too going on, but that those are the kind of high level ways I think about it. Like, is this a campaign? And, and then sure, great, but or is it much more strategic that's concent- that's a concentrated thing? Something that like is worth fighting for, if that makes sense, for a longer period of time. Well, no forums, I don't think it was worth fighting for at some point. And that doesn't mean it was bad. It just means it was a campaign in my mind, not as core to the strategy or a major shift. And it could be that they're early. And with voice and other things, that shift could happen five years from now or, or longer. But it didn't matter because it wasn't going to happen quick enough. And so when you take a stance, you have to make sure that there's enough of an audience that agrees with you and then it has longevity if you're going to make it a strategic thing. Otherwise, it's just a campaign. Campaigns are cool. Yeah. person I think is brilliant to this is Latka. I think Latka is very, very good at... And, and I, don't, I don't know if he's good at picking the thing that's going to have longevity, but he's good at like the campaigns. And I think he kind of... He, he's, he's mixed in some of the strategic pieces. Now he's like the bootstrap guy, right? Like he's like, we're going after the bootstrappers. Like you don't need to raise dilutive financing and stuff, stuff like that with founder path, but he's, he's very good at like getting an other and it gets a little complicated. Cause then you're like, you're like, wait a minute, you thought this and now you think that, and there's no explanation, but it's like, it is an interesting thing to kind of watch and learn from, from what he does on this. But you could say one of the Kings of this is Peter Thiel. That's true. And and, yeah. and one of the reasons is when you win on that kind of sentiment, you win big, right? And that's his thesis, right? If I were to just observe it, it's like, well, he might be controversial. He might take the wrong side in quotes. I'm putting that in way major quotes because there is no right or wrong here. Other people might argue, but from an objective, just looking at the world standpoint without bringing your own opinions to it. If he's controversial and, and kind of counter to other people, it's almost similar to counterculture in a way where like if you if it works and it's right and 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 you win big the best ones though are when it's like no software that's just the way the world's going and we're going to own that piece of the narrative and be part of it 
So you're just part of something bigger than yourself that's already coming in, coming, that's already going to happen and is happening. And then you just insert yourself at every moment in those things. And I think that's, that's what I look for. That's what I think about. So the whole Rush Limbaugh thing is like, yeah, he hit a pulse in a vein and, 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 and a set of people who, who wanted that different viewpoint and agreed with it. But did yeah. it blow out? I don't know. Like, I don't know enough of that history and all that to know, like, if it really blew out. But he was a sensation and a real big champion for a lot of people for, for whatever reason, time. right? Yeah. Yeah. When he caused, he had many, like, derivatives off of him. And you could argue Fox News is a derivative off of him or they were parallel, these types of things. Yeah, it's, it's super interesting because... The strategic initiative part is more riding a wave of something that's coming, like you said, right? The campaign is more like a political campaign where it's like, this is the issue of the week or the issue of the month, and we're going to like latch onto it. I think the form thing, it wasn't necessarily an issue, and I don't know if it was a strategic piece. I don't I don't know what they thought of it. I haven't talked to Gerhard about it, but like I, I think it was more of this creates doubt in someone's mind and that is useful for the conversational marketing narrative that we're trying to push. And that's, what's really interesting because some people, when they do this with their category, like if you can't join a category or there's not enough people in your category, well create one. Right. And there's a lot of ways to do that, but then all of a sudden it's like, you know, I know paddle has done this pretty well so far where they're like, Oh, we're revenue, we're a revenue delivery platform. Oh yeah. Well, so, Chargebee does these things and that seems to be what you guys do. And they're like, no, 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 we're revenue delivery. So yeah, we do that stuff, but they're, they're just a billing system. We're revenue delivery. And that includes these other things. Right. And, and they can kind of pick those spots based on how things move. And I, I don't know. It's like, it's almost like you have to, you have to like pick a side on something, even if that's something is like not something that someone's thought about. And then, sow a seed of doubt about the past or about the alternative and then kind of cheekily go all into the thing that you're you're advocating for. I think where people make the mistake on this stuff is they don't focus on the customer outcome and you can quickly tell if they are or not. So no forums was not exactly focused on the outcome. It was focused on a tactic. No software was much closer to being focused on the outcome, not the tactic. And it had a good mix. When you think about Paddle, they're focused on the outcome clearly because they're saying we're revenue delivery. And sure, we have the basic foundation of billing because that's required for revenue delivery. In addition, these are the other things we do. So now if you evaluate us versus the other folks, you're going to be thinking about those other things that we do that are helping you with your outcome. So the outcome-based thinking here is really important when you're thinking about category. What is the outcome and how is the category different than what people are used to buying for that same outcome. And are you reframing the outcome or are you just doubling down on what the outcome really is? And no one has done that before you in this category that allows you to take it and resegment it because it's a resegmentation of an existing category. In most cases, it's not a new category and that resegmentation can blow out into a new category. So I would say that drift took bots and turned it into conversational marketing. And now Drift has doubled down on bots with AI and has turned it into revenue, revenue acceleration, acceleration because they added because they added conversational sales. So as a customer, I'm not really sure what other customers think, but when I think about it, if Drift helps me make more money, why would I not use Drift over anything else? If I truly believe that they're focused on that outcome for me, the customer. And it seems like they are with the language, the way they're framing their product and the business, and even them going after AI sooner than later, which is basically if you think about enterprise and larger companies, you're trying to reduce the sales cycle, you're trying to increase pipeline, and you're trying to basically close deals faster, close more deals faster. And if a revenue acceleration platform helps you do that, why wouldn't you buy it? So I think they've gotten to a very clear category and a very outcome-driven one for the customer. And this is a part that I don't hear often about categories because if you're in a, if there's an existing category and it's already outcome-driven, it's very hard to go resegment that or change that up. But it's already outcome-driven. I think CRM is a very good one where people over the years have tried to reframe it, rejigger it, 
but they come back to it because it's it's super outcome driven. And 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 a good example is like HubSpot can make up whatever they want in terms of what they are. They're also very good at marketing. But essentially, if you go to their free CRM page, the resegmentation they've done is just a slight shift in thinking about CRM. It's not a major shift. The slight shift is CRM beyond salespeople. That's or CRM beyond sales. That's what the pitch is when I look at what they're doing. And that's a solid pitch, but it's still CRM. And they didn't have to create a new category there. And these are the experts on creating categories, I would say. Yeah. I struggle with this a little bit because we straddle multiple categories, right? Our our ProfitWell does. And like, are we a sub-segment of revenue operations? Are we a... I use your product. What's the outcome? Make you more money. If the outcome is make me more money, then you're in a different category than the other tools that just show me how much money I'm making. Similar to Drift, I don't think you're revenue acceleration, but you're basically revenue recovery in one area of your business. In other areas, you could call it revenue recognition because like people care about that. So it does go back yeah. to your revenue and how much money you make and you making helping me make more money. So I would explore all those areas with your customers and just think about the outcomes. And if you can find those outcomes and they're all driven around revenue and your products oriented around revenue X, revenue Y, revenue Z, then like something revenue kind of starts making a lot of sense. And, and, and I don't know what it is, but that's just what's in my head when I think about what's the outcome with your product that the customer is trying to achieve. Because the thing about these categories and the way to think about them and even like thinking about when you want to reframe and be different and, and the narrative around that is pretty absurdly simple, which is if you set it to a customer, are they going to understand it with just the words you said? And are they going to get curious enough to want to learn more and then use your product? And CRM being called customer relationship management back when it was created and popularized was a big deal because everyone, nobody had a way to manage the relationships with the customers at the time. But Siebel or whoever, Oracle, whoever came up with it and was in the category early gave companies the ability to do that because of their database tools because it was all a database problem at that time. The way I think about it is it always comes from the, the two things that matter to me are the outcome, not the controversy, <laughs> the outcome. And does it resonate with the customer, whether it's controversy or not? Because not everything has to be controversial, but if you find something that's controversial or like leaning towards like, uniqueness or a differentiated take but for me it's are you different and right (laughs) are you different and wrong (laughs) right like that that's really what what it boils down to and it's really about right or wrong in the customer's mind like does this make sense to me and oftentimes they won't tell you when you're wrong but you'll know it when you're right when you talk to them about this stuff do you think there's there's two questions i've struggled with with this so I'd, i'd love your opinion on it one do other people need to be in your category for you to define or sub-segment your category? Or is it okay if they're more no. adjacent? No, n- no, but it depends on your own skills. It depends on your, on your own skills. And more importantly, how clear is the category to the customer? Because the reason I say no is like, this is where your own case studies come in, where your own narrative comes in, where what you say matters. Right. So if nobody else is in the category, that's not necessarily a bad thing as long as the category is right that you're creating and resonates with your audience. Now, if other people are in your category, in the case of Charge B and Paddle, for example, th- there's a clear answer there, which is like there's already an existing category and Paddle's trying to resegment it by adding more functionality on top of a core base that everybody has. How long is that going to last is the big question. And so is it just features that are added on or is it a true strong category that? should exist in customers' minds. And I I would debate that in that case. Well, when I think about drift and revenue acceleration and how sales and marketing, essentially, in theory, if a company uses drift, sales and marketing work better together, that's a huge value prop and a huge category and a huge pain. It's a huge pain. How does sales and marketing align on growing the business? 
And so if, if Drift is a platform that helps the teams align and gets you revenue acceleration as an outcome, that's really, really strong. And so you can easily just think of it as uh, with this lens and you can, you can think about it as like, is it different and right? Because different and wrong is useless, but different and right is extremely powerful and drives a tail and like accelerates your momentum, drives a tailwind. And you have to be ready to repeat yourself over and over and over again. And in some cases reinvent as it needs to evolve. And so, so drift has basically, they skipped conversational sales went to revenue acceleration and then basically said it's conversational marketing plus conversational sales, which is kind of smart because you don't want to be conversational sales, then conversational or sorry, conversational marketing, then conversational sales, and then something else. Instead, there's this whole meta viewpoint of saying, this is a category now to your point about who's in it. Oh, there's a ton of conversational marketing tools all of a sudden because it was good framing. I haven't seen too many conversational sales, but I feel like I read that on intercom site at some point. Yeah. The other question I had is, do you think that what we kind of struggle with is we have, like, if we were just talking about retain, there's, it's a, it's a bit of an easier question. Like, oh, it's, it's retention automation, retention acceleration. Like there's something there, but we have other products that help with revenue. And then we have this analytics product, which I guess we can kind of like Jerry Reagan to like, we help you with the revenue because we give you the analytics and tell you what's wrong. And there we do it for free. Like there's, there's a story there, but it's like, then you end up, are we revenue automation? Are we like revenue acceleration, but the not sales and marketing parts? Like that's, that's where it kind of gets interesting, right? Because it's like, then you might become too generic, but maybe, maybe you should just stick with the specifics and don't worry about the overarching one. So there was a category that Marketo tried to create. It was called RPM. And it was actually called Revenue Performance Management. I'm pretty sure that's what they called it. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And then it just disappeared because marketing automation is just marketing automation at that time. And there was a bunch of players and they just never crossed the chasm of making that a thing. When I think about revenue acceleration by Drift, they're basically taking that baton and running with the same baton. It's a revenue performance management. If you think about what Drift is, it's a marketing automation tool. That's a higher level meta category that is still higher level than where they're at if you want to be objective about it. But this is the this is the idea of category creation, which is you're not objective about it and you're saying that, no, this is different and here's why. And that's their whole framing, which is totally fine. Their problems, not mine, to like go figure out and deal with. But this happened to Marketo. So when I think about what you're doing, you're actually closer to revenue performance management than anything else because that's what you do. You help me manage the performance of our revenue and make it increase it, recover it, uh, retain it, reduce churn, what, whatever the words are. And so, again, it might be what's old, what's new is old, or what's old is new again, or whatever it is, you know, that statement. But like, I would be exploring things like that because there's a historical context here that's pretty powerful. And sometimes those old categories that are barely anyone remembers except crazy people like me, um, they can be re- reintroduced into the world because nobody owns them anymore. So that's another kind of potential way to think about it. I, I I do believe that the whole Rush Limbaugh and like the uniqueness or originality, the differentiation, all that is so key to category. It's so key to product too, because it's like there when you start a company, you're crazy, like just period. And <laughs> you want more, you want those crazy people that believe in what you're doing to be your first investors, your first customers, your first team members, all of that. And that's what you're pushing for. And so when you can say it's different and objectively say why, or in another way, say it's a lot better and say why, like that's really powerful. And then you can name it. It's even more powerful, but it all starts with differentiation. If you really think there's a resegmentation of a category or a new category opportunity, otherwise don't do that. Just stick to the existing category. So for example, how much traction did Marketo lose by trying to go after RPM? when they already had marketing automation and they already owned it, they could have just kept being the leader. There was nothing bigger to go after there and not a reason, but they are very sharp people over there. And I'm pretty sure that they were trying to make the moves into RPM so that they can attract larger and larger customers in the right ways that speaks to the the CMOs and speaks to the CROs and speaks, speaks to those people. And if I think about what Drift is doing now, 
they're speaking to those people. And then with the moves with Einstein, like the Einstein, they hired the head of Einstein. I forgot the person's name and all that. And this is public. They're saying we're going to deliver on revenue acceleration. Now that's different than what Marketo was doing. They were showing you screenshots of dashboards and features that amounted to revenue performance management. What Drift is saying is like, look, we started this category. It's conversational marketing. There's another subcategory conversational sales and the high level categories, revenue acceleration, and we're going to back it up with our product. Yeah. And we're not even there yet. Just interesting. I think what's kind of cool about that is like, you've seen all the stuff from Rome, right? Like it's a very like vision focus, like, Hey, we're not there yet. There's this thing called multi. And so for those who don't know, it's a, a note taking app. It kind of focuses on right now, at least like personal note taking. And then there's, you know, multiplayer mode, they call it, that's going to come. But it allows them to reference like the future, right? Tesla, Elon Musk does this a lot too, where it's like, this is where we're going. This is exactly where we're going. And here's how we're going to get there. And here's step two of seven. And then here's step three of seven, et cetera. And I think that actually adds a pro like a probable accelerant to some of this because all of a sudden it turns into a mission and you're attracting missionaries who are your customers on this mission. And that's what gets really kind of fascinating for some of these more modern brands. And I think inbound marketing, that was, I don't know if HubSpot came up with it necessarily, but HubSpot executed on it better than anyone else. Like the whole like, hey, this is this is a bad way to do, you know, acquire customers. Here's a better way and blah, 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 blah. And I think they got sucked into the marketing automation piece, but it didn't really matter at the at the end of it. No, I think they were really right on the shift in the world. And and now it doesn't matter. Their growth, their growth, growth platform or something like that. I do think for anyone that hasn't seen their, uh, what is it, Q4 2020 uh, investor presentation should definitely check it out. It is super clear. It is one of the best investor presentations I've ever seen because it's so simple and it's very clear about their strategy and their business without any fluff. I compare it to Zendesk and Shopify and others and like, Wow, like HubSpot's clarity on theirs compared to like anybody else. I think the closest company I've seen that's that clear is Box. And, and I look at this stuff because in the public markets, category matters. And investors are investing and trying to bucket companies and things like that. So the narrative there is important. And so I think HubSpot, and I think HubSpot number one, Box number two, at least from the companies that I look at and care about are, are worth looking at. Um, a lot of the other ones are very fluffy and have a lot of extraneous stuff that investor relations shouldn't be about, <laughs> but that's fine. Like, like companies like to show off their brand and their uniqueness and stuff. But at the end of the day, investors not investing in that they're investing in the future growth of the business. I think both box and HubSpot nailed it in the last presentations that I've seen from them, but it's some of my favorite things to look at for category, just especially companies that might be in my space or tangential to it, just to understand how they're framing themselves and then finding the best in class. Those two are definitely worth looking at on this topic. It's the second time, second episode you've mentioned that. So we're, we're, I think what we should do is I, I haven't seen <laughs> seen it. I think I should watch it and then we can deconstruct it or something like that. That might yeah, be and, and I'm not even I'm not even talking about like the the webcast. I just mean the slides. Just look at the slides because the slides the webcast gives you so much color that the slides supposedly don't. But when you look at the slides, if it's clear, I think one of the themes of today is like, hey, clarity. Well. I think HubSpot and Box delivered clarity to their investors and potential investors as public companies better than other companies I've seen. Okta's, Okta's up there too, but Box and, and, and HubSpot, in my opinion, are so much more clear. That's so interesting. Yeah. And don't get me started what, on Dropbox. What part of it? What, let, me, let me put it. Like, it's just not clear what they're about. It's not, yeah, the words are good, it's weird, but it's not right? clear what they're about. They have yeah, an existential so challenge. Cool. Everybody knows it. I'm sure they know it internally. It's yeah. a tough one. Yeah, that's well, why I said don't get me started. Yeah, we can make you maybe save that for next time. I think I think what's really kind of fascinating is, you know, whether it's an investor presentation like you're talking about or like S1s, right? Snowflake's S1, super direct. <laughs> like, this is what we do. We're pretty freaking Another good at one. it. Here's why we do it. Here are the threats, which are kind of like the standard threats. Peloton's S1. Lot of fluff, like we are the community of blah 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 blah, right? You know, we work got a lot of crap for this. Bumble's S one, like, you know, it wasn't just we're a dating app. It's we are the future of blah 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 blah, and it's 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 just kind of everyone's doing well right now, like in the markets. You know, we work obviously the exception, so it's like hard to tell if that really did anything or not. But it tends not to be the ones that 
obfuscate what's going on. It tends to be the ones that are super clear that do really well. Yeah, I've, we've seen that consistently. And those presentations are so key to like understanding like the markets and the business and how a company thinks. And Got to say like that clarity comes out when you see it. Like you just see it and you're like, I get it. In fact, like my 11-year-old gets it. My six-year-old can follow along, right? Like that's impressive. Like when someone can get it that tight. You got some smart kids though, so I don't know if it counts. I don't know about that. I I, I don't know. (laughs) I'm just saying they read it. They're like, cool. They were helping me with sketch the other day and I was like blown away by their feedback. I was like, damn, (laughs) you're right. Like I got to fix that. (laughs) But yeah, I don't don't get it, dad. What the hell is this? Last mock had that. I thought you were going to fix that. That's funny. Let's wrap this up. I think to me, clarity clarity in what what's good for you in terms of how you handle you know this this time period clarity and how you can give it to your team to understand like what the future looks like that's probably a good lesson in mostly everything inside your company clarity in terms of your category and who you are so your customers can understand who you are and how you fit into their world clarity in terms of vision so that you can communicate it and uh obviously get those flywheels moving but yeah i think clarity is is a good topic uh to wrap up the episode here well that's a wrap then on clarity hopefully we were clear <laughs> there we go probably not but that's why we ramble so no. that we can get to clarity yeah that's right which is yeah good. that's right that's right that's what yeah. it takes let us know what you think respond to the emails talk to us on twitter all these kinds of fun things um, if you have any questions you think we should answer or we should talk through, um, you know, throw those either in response to the email or on Twitter. And of course, if there's anything we can do to be helpful, just let us know. But uh, everyone have a good rest of the weekend and uh, we'll talk to you next week. See ya. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you left a five-star review on this podcast or the equivalent rating wherever you listen or watch. Also, make sure to subscribe to and tell your friends about Tradeoffs, a podcast from ProfitWell Recur, the largest, fastest growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions.